Amen to that. You guys can have a seat. So, I don't know about you, but if you've been listening to, to me preach for a while, or anybody preach, or stand-up comics, or anybody along those lines, there's certain tropes, right? There's certain patterns that, that usually come up, and they're kind of stereotypical, and they're pretty cliche, and all that. You guys okay? Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> this is live, folks. I want to welcome the people here online joining us. This is not pre-rehearsed, as polished as it may seem. Uh, we're actually live right now. Uh, but yeah, but I just want to say, like, when these stereotypes come up, I usually roll my eyes. And my least favorite stereotype, particularly the preachers use, or cliche that they use, are, are have to do with gender norms. They have to do with gender stereotypes. Women be shopping, men are a bunch of monkeys, and only one of those is true, and I'll let you decide on that one, right? But one of the things that you hear, particularly about women, is, you know, they love to go to Target, right? They go to Target, and the guy sits out in the parking lot, and that happens to be true in my life, right? That just happens to be true, so what do you do about that? But today, I want to tell you that I've discovered my Target. It's a little place, and they open up a brand new franchise right there in Alexandria called Harbor Freight. Love Harbor Freight. Love Harbor Freight. I am not a craftsman. I don't need tools that are going to stand the test of the time. I need the dollar store equivalent of the tool shop, right? I need that place called Harbor Freight. So I go in there and, and it's, it's, I make all these jokes about how Heidi loves to go to Target and how there's like a $40 cover charge, right? Like she's just going to drop that amount of money and she doesn't. But I walk into Harbor Freight and I spend like 40 bucks and I went in there looking for one thing and I walked out with like two bags full of stuff, right? And I texted my dad afterwards. I said, Dad, they just opened another, a new Harbor Freight. That's incredible, right? And guess what? I was in there. I'm not sure what happened, but I spent 40 bucks. And my dad, a dry sense of humor, just responds back. He goes, yes, my son, that happens. And just, just, just the perfect little encapsulation of the fact that this kind of draws me in there. But the thing about Harbor Freight, or you go to Home Depot, or you go to Lowe's, is that for me, rarely do I make just one trip there. Like, that's where dreams go to die, those places, right? I go in there once, and I'm going to go in there, I'm going to get something for a project, and I'm going to have the best intentions. I even tell Heidi before I leave, say, I'll be right back, I'm going to get what I need, I'm going to come home and I fix it. Well, inevitably, I go, and it takes a lot longer than I intended or planned or told her I would be. I get something, I always get something, right? I come home, it doesn't fit, it's not the right thing, I didn't get the other thing, whatever it is, and it's a minimum one more trip back if not three or four because we can start out with the best intentions right we can start in the best intentions whether it's a diy project whether we're trying to change our diet whether we're trying to get more disciplined or stick to a budget but it never quite turns out the way we thought it would i think the same is true when we follow jesus I don't know if you've ever been in this spot where you kind of decide, usually in January, the first of the year, you say, I'm going to read the entire Bible. I'm going to go cover to cover this year. And it starts out great. It's rewarding. It's enriching. You feel closer to God. But then something happens right around Numbers or Leviticus or you get a little bit further than that. And it gets bogged down. You feel like your eyes are just moving across the page, but you're not really reading anything. Or you say, I'm going to fast. I'm going to go without food, an incredibly rewarding and powerful spiritual experience where you essentially say, I'm going to go without something, and in doing so, I'm going to replace that time that I would be doing that thing and spend it with God. So instead of eating, I'm going to pray. Instead of jumping on social media, I'm going to read, read scripture, whatever it might be. 
But then if you're going through the whole day, like 4 o'clock comes, you get really hangry, and the kids are driving you crazy or whatever, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, this isn't worth it. Where are the bag of chips? Like we start out great. We start out with the best of intentions, and we find ourselves getting off the track. Dallas Willard, who's this writer, he wrote this incredible book called The Divine Conspiracy. It was all about this idea that God's grand plan was to come close to us and we're supposed to follow him and be a part of this. This kingdom mindset, the way heaven is, can be lived out now. He wrote this in his book. He said, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of the human condition that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. We all know, we all know intimately the things that we want to do. We know the good things we want to be. We want to be a better person, better husband, better wife, better father, better mother, better son, better daughter, better brother, better, you know, more efficient, whatever it might be. We know what we got to do to get there, right? But getting there is the hard part. We get off track. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus, this calling that he gives to us, then we have to understand, yes, we want to get there, but how do we get there? Not in a way to earn God's love, but how do we take steps to move there to experience this kingdom mindset? We're in the final week of this series called This Changes Everything. And this series is all about the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. So we come back to this section of Scripture over and over again this series. It starts in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This idea that how God gets what God wants in heaven can come to us, can come down. And Jesus comes. He's like the first offering of that, the first experience of that. He's the first one that begins to show you what this looks like. And he's inviting you into this lifestyle. And he goes on, he essentially says that to experience this, verse 17, Jesus offers himself as a way to experience this. Come, follow me. So you and I are not just invited to believe a certain way. We are not just invited to think a certain way or spend our Sundays or spend our money a certain way. We're not just invited to learn. We are invited to be active participants. We are invited to be partners. See, Jesus doesn't want to show us how to experience an eternal kind of life. He doesn't want to show us that this only happens once you die. He wants to show us an eternal kind of life can happen in the here and now. So two weeks ago, we talked about being with Jesus, that there is a peace of God, an aspect of God called the Holy Spirit that guides and directs, and we can have communion with God. We can connect with God in the everyday Last week we talked about this idea, how do we love like Jesus? How do we choose to, to see people differently? We looked at how Jesus, one of his last things he said, there at the, the, the Thursday night before he goes to the cross on Friday, he said to his disciples, they will know you are followers of me. They will know you believe. They will know you are my disciples by how you love. Not by how you believe, not by how you morally act, but love is the defining mark, the defining unifying thing that brings us together as followers of Jesus. And then today, what we're looking at is this idea that Jesus invites us in. 
If you're following along, flip over to John chapter 14. It'll be on the screen as well. This is an important section of Scripture that we're going to come back to. But in John chapter 14, we have Jesus being recorded by John, these, one of these moments where we learn to do things as Jesus did. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. See, following Jesus means learning to do things as Jesus did them. Following Jesus means learning to do things as Jesus did them. I think we get that. This makes sense, right? But it's not so easy to live out. The good news is that Jesus didn't expect his first apprentices, his first disciples, to get it figured out all at, the, all at once, all at the start. Just like a DIY project around your house or, or a diet you're trying to follow or, or whatever it is, we all start out with good intentions, but we mess up. And we read in the Gospels over and over again where the, the disciples miss it, they're dense, they, they get confused, they, they think one thing's going on and something else is going on. And then, of course, the most glaring, most obvious example is Judas, one of the 12 disciples, is the guy who tips off, sells out, claims responsibility of the reward on Jesus' head, and allows the authorities to come and arrest him, leading to his execution on the cross. But Judas was at the Last Supper. Judas was still invited in. Peter, the guy who, who time and time again sticks his foot in his mouth, and time and time again misses it, he becomes the leader of the Twelve. What we see over and over again is, yes, there's, there are these moments where Jesus is calling us to follow him, but not expecting a perfect record. But what we do see is a model. We see kind of a model of the ways in which that Jesus began to, to, to lead people towards this, to lead people on this path of following him. And this is language that we use in something we call pathway here at Movement Church. And we say that there's four steps to following Jesus. The first step is just kind of being known, just kind of, kind of, kind of checking things out, just kind of connecting with God and with the church and seeing this. Step two is belief. You know, so now we're talking about baptism. We're talking about making steps of decision. Step three is following. So we're going to put our faith in action. And then step four is multiply. How am I helping other people go along this path? And when I'm talking to people that are trying to enter into step four, we use this language of apprenticeship, right? So it's not just you're just going to tell them everything, but you're going to live with them. You're going to kind of model this and bring them along. And there's kind of a pattern that we see in the scriptures that we see with Jesus that can be very, very helpful. See, first, the disciples were called simply to follow. As they follow, they watch Jesus. This first step, you call it this. You call it, I do, you watch. So Jesus did something, the disciples watched that happening. The next step, we see the disciples start to help, start to take part in this. We see how Matthew gathers his friends in Matthew chapter 9 so they could get to know Jesus. The second step of apprenticeship is, I do, you help. So Jesus teaches, he heals, but Matthew is the one inviting. Matthew is one that's hosting the dinner. Then in Matthew 10, we see this next step. We see that this next step is where Jesus starts to send out his apprentices for further mission, kind of on a short-term, very specific way. He tells them to go and preach simply that the kingdom of heaven is near. His third step of apprenticeship is, you do, I help. 
So Jesus coaches and equips them, helps them, but now the disciples are actually teaching and healing. And finally, Jesus entrusts this mission to his apprentices. He calls them to pick up the baton and run with it themselves. And this is the fourth step of apprenticeship. You do, I watch. Let's leave that up there for a second. Think about it this way in a small group setting. If you're part of a part of movement church, you most likely you're part of a, a small group or have been in the past. Usually there's one leader or a couple that are leading. Maybe you have a leader and you have a host and you meet in that host's home. But in a really good way, the group should kind of operate as a local church, right? It should operate as a micro church. And one of the ways we can think about this replication process is I do, you watch. The leader does, teaches, leads, but there's somebody that's kind of paying attention with real uh, uh, intentionality, paying attention with intentionality. The second step would be I do, you help. So the leader teaches the class, but maybe this other person, maybe they lead the prayer time. Maybe they have some specific things that they've talked about before that this person is going to interject or share. You do, I help. So now all of a sudden the teacher is kind of the assistant and this apprentice person, they're the one leading the group, but that teacher's still there kind of helping them and coaching them. And finally, you do, I watch. That apprentice leads and the leader steps back and coaches and, and helps and corrects. But we see this pattern of apprenticeship. We can think about it in a church setting. We also think about it in a life setting. We can think about how when we follow Jesus, when we help other people, that apprenticeship model might be a helpful thing because this is how Jesus did it. And here's the really powerful part. When Jesus released his apprentices to carry out the mission, what we see God doing through them is nothing short of miraculous. What we see is thousands of people finding their way back, finding their way to following Jesus. We see thousands of people gather. We see thousands of people being healed. We see people's lives being changed. See, the mission of Jesus explodes. The followers bring his love and good news to the ends of the earth. I remember I was kind of just getting serious about following Jesus, and someone was explaining the mission. What's going on here? What is Jesus trying to do? And they explained this process by which he had these disciples and, and then he empowered these disciples to go and, and disciple others. And it kind of this exponential mindset, this kind of generational mindset where it spread and spread and spread. And someone was explaining this to me and I, and I kind of said like, wouldn't it have been easier if like God somehow just appeared to everybody? Like, 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 like just like the worldwide broadcast of God and God just appears to everybody, says here's what's up, here's how you follow me. And the person looked at me and said, you know what? You would think that. But isn't it true that we've got a lot of God's testimony right in front of us? The beauty of creation, the change of people's lives. Isn't it true that, that we can all know something? We know this is healthy for me. We know this is not healthy for me. We know what we should do, but we don't do it. No, no, life change, real transformation happens through this apprenticeship, through discipleship, through people in relationship helping one another find and follow Jesus. That is how things truly change. God didn't work through the systems and the government and the power and the authority of the Romans, right? He didn't work through the, the, the structures of the religious order of the day. He created something totally new. The first thing he did was not set up a school. The first thing he did was invest in people and set them loose. Notice that when we think about this kingdom mindset, there's not a bunch of hoops and, and, and bars to come over see jesus says here take this he didn't give us three easy steps he didn't say hey don't ever screw up he said take this and look what he says going back there to john chapter 14 he says very truly i tell you 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Later on, he, he says, like, this has to be within God's will. So this isn't like we get powers and we can do whatever we want, but it has to be in line with what God wants. That's why things happen and some things don't. But when we look at this, this can be a little difficult. To be honest with you, I think about that, that I am going to do things greater than what Jesus has done, because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you. He's talking to followers then and now. You are going to do greater things than Jesus. That's ridiculous. You know, it'd be like if, if LeBron James showed up at your house and said, hey, I'm going to teach you in about a half hour and you're going to play basketball like me, right? It's, it's going to be like, like, you know, whatever musician or whatever artist or whatever powerful, you know, incredible leader is going to show up and say, hey, I'm going to teach you all this and you're going to get to do it. That's, like, that's kind of that's laughable, right? But Jesus is laying out something similar here. See, Jesus did sort of things that are kind of off of our map, off of our typical everyday experience, you know, things that seem impossible, the, the miraculous. He healed the sick, he, he cast out demons, he raised people from the dead, and Jesus says, I'm going to be able to do something like that. I think some of us believe that Jesus wants us to apprentice, apprentice us to do some of these miraculous things. My guess is that most of us doubt these things are possible. We just can't picture it. So we only even follow Jesus to those places. We don't even entertain that as a possibility. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to have people that are sick come down here and, and we're going to have some sort of healing service. You know, that's not that sort of thing, right? We're not going to have lay on hands and have people behind them like catching them like this weird trustful thing, right? But I do believe this. I do believe there is power in following Jesus. I do believe there is power in the Holy Spirit. I do believe there is power for the miraculous. And I know about you, but sometimes I kind of put a limit on what God can do. In my mind, I don't even think that God can exceed this. I, I think, it's, think it's though that we read in the Gospels, we see kind of that's the peak of it. That's Jesus' power, and that's never, we're never going to see that again. But Jesus himself says, we will do greater things. And so you might ask, is it even possible? I think it is. I think it's more than possible. In John chapter 14, Jesus speaks about how it's possible. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But if you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, how is the impossible possible? How is this happening? How do we see the, the miraculous, the healings, the restoration that we think is just so far beyond? It's not through the work of us. It's not through our great wisdom or knowledge or ability. It is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what makes the impossible possible. Maybe for some of you, you think about that idea of greater things. Maybe you see that and you think, that's not possible. Well, I would say this, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room, you probably never thought you'd find yourself in church, right? Maybe you thought you were done with church. I know that's the story for some who call Movement Church home, and here you are. Maybe you thought you would never find yourself serving on a team at Movement Church. I had a conversation with somebody this week, and they said, you know, I never really thought I'd be in this spot. I never, church was kind of a thing that I did, and, and that was fine growing up, and I never thought I would do this as an adult. I never thought for sure I'd never come and serve in the way I do. 
Maybe you never thought it was possible for you to be generous, to give back to God, but you're doing it. Empowered by the Spirit. Maybe for you, you, you never dreamed that you would be looking for ways to connect with your neighbors, the neighbors who don't cut their grass, the neighbors who let their kids run wild, the neighbors who let their house fall to dis- disrepair, the neighbors who are rude. You never thought, man, I'm going to be seeking them out to love them. But here you are doing it. I've seen miracles, and I think I'm pretty skeptical. I think I'm pretty rational, but I've seen miracles. I've seen health miracles. I've seen addictions be cured and healed. I've seen people experience forgiveness in powerful ways. I've seen people be freed of this, and I can't explain it. And it's not often the way that we would think it would happen. It's not often as, as nice and tidy and clean as we would think it would happen because there's often so many next steps, but I've seen that happen. And I can't deny that. And so for me, as it happens, that when the lives of followers of Jesus are open, with people who spend time with Jesus, who love like Jesus, have their views of other people changed, if they love, they see other people differently, these are the people that the Holy Spirit leads them into that kingdom life. So here as we kind of close up this series, and we close up today's message, I want to give you three quick challenges. The first challenge is this. Become an apprentice of Jesus. If you say yes to Jesus, you are also saying yes to taking steps to follow Jesus. You are taking steps to follow Jesus. If you're new to this, you're looking for a place to start, start in the Gospels. Start reading in the scriptures, start reading in the book of Matthew, and read that and see where that takes you. Become an apprentice of Jesus. You know, saying yes to Jesus is taking that first step. It isn't about having everything figured out. It isn't about having all the answers. It isn't about having all the experiences. It's not about knowing the future. It's about saying yes with those doubts in place. Really clearly, here at Movement, we acknowledge this. Faith and doubt are not opposites. Faith and doubt are not opposites. I believe this. Our doubts, our questions, when we pursue them openly and honestly, lead us eventually to faith. I trust God. I don't trust my own self. I don't trust my own arguments or yours. I trust God. I believe that if I am pursuing doubts openly and honestly, I will come to faith. I will find that truth. I know for me, I've had all sorts of times in my life where I ask myself those hard questions of, am I really following Jesus? Am I really taking steps? Am I really there? And every time I ask that question, I think coming out of it, my faith deepens. It grows stronger. See, the kingdom of God is here. We can experience it now. And the first step is to say, yes, I'm going to be an apprentice. I'm going to follow this Jesus. The second challenge is this, to take your next steps. Every apprentice up to Jesus has a next step. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not satisfied with status quo. The Holy Spirit is continually working in our lives, prompting us to respond. It's going to look different for everyone. But maybe that prompting looks like for you that that opportunity to reach out to a friend in crisis, uh, to give generously, and to take steps in generosity towards others, to commit to serving others in some way on Sundays or any other time, to meet a tangible need around you, to share your story of following Jesus with a neighbor, to love neighbors creatively in the midst of all this for Halloween. I've read stories about people that will put together little candy baskets and they're kind of they're putting them on doorsteps and they'll ring the doorbell and they'll run away. 
They know there's a family there, and they know that that family, the trick-or-treating is going to look different, and all the things that are happening, and, and so they find creative ways to do that. You know, Christine talked about her family, her and Justin, they doing the, the hot shots and being kind of known for that. Here at Movement, we are known as the hot dog church on Halloween night. And if you've been here in years past, we would, we would have all these people, hundreds of people. We, we, one year, I think we gave away like 650 hot dogs or something crazy like that. People come in and they use the restroom and they warm up and they get out of the rain and they get candy and all the stuff. Well, we can't do that, so we had to get creative. We all are still called to love. We are all still called to take another step. The Apostle Paul says that we need to keep in step with the Spirit. There's this opportunity to walk, to kind of move forward, to follow Jesus. Whatever that next step might be for you, I challenge you to explore that, to ask that what is that next step, and to take it. And the final challenge is this, to apprentice someone else. See, an apprentice of Jesus is continually inviting others. And we look at the first four steps that we talked about earlier, these four steps of, of being an apprentice, of I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, you do, I watch. It's like kind of this, this opportunity where as a leader, you are constantly kind of moving to the side, you're elevating someone else so you can go and lead someone else. When we talk about discipleship, you're discipling someone else, you're pouring into their lives, you're helping them be with Jesus, love Jesus, and live like Jesus, and then you are slowly moving away so you can disciple someone else and so can they because that's the fifth step and the fifth step is this you do someone else watches there's this moment this moment in the grand idea of the church this grand kind of plan that jesus has for the church and i think it was revealed slowly but consistently there in the gospels and there's this moment where the disciples are are, are so afraid and they're so afraid of jesus leaving now picture this, this is after the cross, after Easter Sunday, and Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and no, I don't know what that means or what exactly that looks like, but Jesus is about to leave them, and they're freaking out. And Matthew chapter 28 says they are afraid that some doubted, and they're there, and this is the resurrected Jesus, and they still have fear, and they still have doubts, because they recognize he's been talking about leaving, and his grand plan is he's going to entrust us with it, and we're supposed to entrust other people with it, and on and on and on it goes. This is the grand plan that Jesus has for us. But we're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to get it right on the first try. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. There'll be times where we laugh at ourselves, and there'll be times where we cry. There'll be times where we look back at our good intentions at the beginning and wonder how do we get so far off. But Jesus is patient with us. Following him is a journey. It is going on a path. You know, apprenticeship, discipleship, following Jesus is a process. What matters is that we take the next step. Maybe you're in a spot where you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're watching at home right now. You're in your living room. And you've been coming and you've been here in person or online. You've been hearing this stuff and you think, I've never really kind of said it out loud. I've never really taken that step where I've kind of admitted to myself and told God what I think of him. I've never really gotten to that point where I've said yes. And Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Or maybe you've been going to church for a long, long time. And you've been checking that box. You've been checking that box of your life and saying, I've got that covered. I've got that covered. Maybe for you, Jesus is calling you to take a step in your faith, to put it into action. To serve, not just here on a Sunday morning, or not only here on a Sunday morning, 
but in life with your neighbors. Maybe for you, you've almost gotten addicted to church. You've gotten addicted to serving and being involved, and, and this is kind of your be-all, end-all. And that's great on some level because you're so valuable here. But maybe you need to see your next step. Not only should I continue to follow Jesus, but I need to be seeing how I can multiply this. Who else can I apprentice? Who else can I reach out to? Who else can I pour into? Because what matters is that we take the next step. We allow the Spirit to empower us to live like Jesus, to do what Jesus did, and to do these even greater things. Let's pray. God, you call us to this kingdom life. You announce it in your Son. At the cross, on Easter Sunday, you said, here it is. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to be human. Follow me and experience something better. God, you don't offer us that with a threat. You don't even, I don't think, say that this can be taken away from us. You say, here it is. You say, here it is. Live into this. Come follow me. And God, I want to do that. When I read that you have called your followers, that you have promised your followers that we will do even greater things, I'm not sure about that sometimes. And so, Lord, help my unbelief. Speak to my doubts, speak to my frustrations, but more so, allow me not to lean into who I am, let me lean into who you are. Allow me to rely on your spirit, to be open to your spirit. Because the miraculous, the life-changing, the transformation won't happen because I said something the right way. It won't happen because I served in just the creative way to get the attention. It won't happen because I live such a moral life. It will happen when I am open to you, Father, when I am open to your spirit. So lead us and to guide us. And for those of us in this room, for those of us watching at home and listening in, God, I would ask that you would show us all what that next step is. Maybe for us it's just saying yes. Maybe for us, it's, it's getting baptized next month. Maybe for us, it's, maybe for someone else, it's, it's I need to go ahead and put some action behind my faith. I need to live this out. Or, or maybe it's saying, hey, I'm living this out, but I am stopping things with me. I need to be reaching out. I need to apprentice someone else. I need to disciple someone else. I need to help someone else find and follow you. And so, God, I'm praying that you would show us that the details of where we sometimes get lost, we start out with the best intentions and we get lost in the details. So let, in this moment, let there be clarity. Let there be clarity. Let there be a plan. And let there be next step. And Father, show us how to take it. Father, we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come up, Tim and Justin. I want to leave us with this as we enter into this time of communion. There's this moment where I think that when we consider this idea of following Jesus, we have to be reconciled to the fact of just how, how much of a failure, how much of a screw-up we are. We have to be reconciled with this idea that we are insufficient. There's nothing like life to remind you of that. There's nothing like life to remind you, man, you're not quite as far along as you thought you would be. You haven't had the success. You aren't where you thought you would be. 
And then you hear a message like this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you say, man, what does that even look like, Josh? How am I supposed to be doing greater things than this? The Apostle Paul, he writes this, this, this letter to this church in Galatia, and we know it as Galatians. And Paul was one of those up-and-comers. Paul was a guy who had the perfect resume. And Paul was a guy who had this confrontation with Jesus, had this blinding moment, literally, this blinding moment where Jesus calls him out and says, all you've been doing has been wrong. And he goes away, literally, he goes home for about 10 years. Because in that transformation, in that moment, in that challenge from Jesus, he is transformed, but the church is like, I don't know what to do with you, man. You were serving arrest warrants. You were rounding people up. You were overseeing someone who was delivering meals in the name of Jesus. You oversaw his execution. We're not sure what to do with you. So they send him home for 10 years. He kind of, he's out of the story for about 10 years. And Paul comes back and he's built up trust. And he's allowed himself to be fully transformed. And he takes his resume and he... He equivalents to trash. He equivalents to filthy rags. He says, this is not who I am anymore. And he writes in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, Paul, one of the great thinkers of the ancient world, take faith out of it. Paul, the guy who is in some way responsible, he is the church planter he is the missionary of the first generation he is the one that expands the church more so than any person second to jesus this guy who has it all figured out he has it all figured out this is what it looks like to disciple people this is what it looks like to raise up new churches this is what it looks like to see miracles happen miracles happen through paul and he still says i have been crucified it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul talked about this. He said, you're reminded of this through communion. And if you have those cups next to you and you want to take communion with us, or if you're at home, go ahead and prepare that. And Paul talked about the body and the blood. And I think it was a way for him to be reminded, to him, for him to remind himself, and for all to be reminded that when we take of these things, they are not crackers, they are not bread, they are not whatever this little wafer thing is made of. There's something more. There's something more. It's a reminder, it's not I who live, but Christ who died in me. If you're a follower of Jesus, we would ask you to do this, to take and eat of the body of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would ask that you would take of the cup and you would drink to remind yourself that it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul has this refrain. It kind of shows up in multiple places. And he says essentially that for whenever I drink of this, whenever I eat of this, I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. He proclaims, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect, but thankfully God is. And I follow.